TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Discussing the coronavirus response with congressional members from across upstate New York. From the Capital District, Representative Paul Tonko. From the North Country, Representative Elise Stefani. From the Mohawk Valley, Congressman Anthony Brindisi. Representing the Southern Tier and the Finger Lakes, Congressman Tom Reed. From the heart of Central New York, Representative John Katko. From the Rochester area, Congressman Joe Morelli. From the Buffalo area, Representative Brian Higgins. And good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our COVID-19 Congressional Town Hall here in upstate New York. I'm Tim Lake in Albany. We appreciate you joining us for our program tonight. So for the next hour, we're going to be hearing from our congressional representatives, your representative, about how to best get our economy rolling once again. And of course, while we're keeping everyone safe as well. Now, we are broadcasting tonight on 15 TV stations across the state six radio stations and several websites here in New York State, from Western New York and the Capital Region, down to the Southern Tier, the Catskills, through Central New York, up into the North Country, and of course in the Hudson Valley as well. So we think it's important for you to hear directly from your federal lawmakers about how they're trying to help all of us here in New York. Well, to date, New York State has had more than 350,000 coronavirus cases, which have claimed the lives of nearly 23,000 people now. More than 1,000 are still testing positive here every day. Nearly one and a half million New Yorkers have been tested, and the state has ramped up the efforts to test more people with or without any symptoms. And as all of upstate New York is reopening now, the questions have mostly shifted now to the financial toll that the virus has had on New Yorkers. So our town hall tonight is coming off that massive $3 trillion house stimulus bill approved Friday night. It's called the HEROES Act, and it's very controversial. It's a package of financial aid passed by a vote of 208 to 199 in the House. And among its many provisions is funding to state and local governments for helping our three key public sectors, emergency services, health and medicine, and education. The bill was heavily criticized as it was written only by Democrats, but 14 Democrats across the nation voted against it, and New York's Peter King was the only Republican to vote in favor. By the way, he's not running for re-election. All of our members here tonight are up for re-election. Now, we welcome back each of our House members to our show tonight. We'd like to start off with a brief response from each of you. And we're expecting uh, Congressman Tom Reed from the Southern Tier to be joining us uh, as we're in progress uh, any second now, any minute now. Mm -hmm. So we want to get an idea from you, first of all, 
how you voted, and hopefully you can tell us in 30 seconds or less, how you voted on the HEROES Act and why. So Congresswoman Stefanik in the North Country, let's start with you. And I, I suppose in part because you held meetings with President Trump at Camp David over the weekend. How did you vote on the HEROES Act and, and why was your vote the way it was? I voted no. I was very concerned that a bill as important as this one, a $3 trillion bill, there was little to no outreach to Republicans. I think any solution needs to be bipartisan. I was also deeply concerned that in addition to the state and local aid, there were partisan provisions such as allowing federal taxpayer dollars to be sent to illegal immigrants in the form of stimulus payments, uh, as well as a federal takeover, a required vote by mail across the country when I think our state should run our elections. So I don't want to see those partisan provisions. I think that we need to look back at the bipartisan solutions and move forward in bipartisan and bicameral fashion to ensure state and local aid, particularly with a focus on rural aid, on law enforcement, our educators. And Congresswoman, I'll note here that you have drafted your own bill here yesterday uh, in a bipartisan way. We'll be talking about that in a moment. But first, let's shift now to Congressman Katko in Central New York. Your vote and your reasoning. Well, I echo the sentiments of my good friend, Elise Stefanik. Um, I wanted to vote for this thing, but there is what we call poison pills in there that are you know, subject to what happens when you have it, uh, when you don't have a lot of bipartisan input. This is the first bill of the, since the coronavirus started that wasn't bipartisan in nature. And it reflected that in the vote when 14 Democrats voted against it. As far as I'm concerned, we put it in the rearview mirror and we move forward in a bipartisan manner and try and get <clears throat> something done. I think something's brewing in the Senate already. I'm all for state and local funding. I'm a strong supporter of it. I was not intimidated at all by the size of the bill. It's just when you have those poison pill provisions like letting individuals out of jail if they have uh, asthma or, or uh, diabetes, but then others sit in jail if they don't have those things. As a prosecutor, that just didn't seem right to me. So I, I also knew, and I think everyone knew, that the bill was dead on arrival in the Senate. They said that, that they said as much ahead of time. So it's, it's like I said, rearview mirror, move forward, and we're going to get something bipartisan done that's going to get the aid to the state and local governments, which we desperately need. All right, Congressman Catro uh, in Central New York, we appreciate that. You may have noticed that we, we do have Congressman Tom Reed trying to make a connection with us. He should be with her momentarily. Now, Representative Brian Higgins from the Buffalo Niagara region and Paul Tonko from the Capital Region, you both represent parts of the state that have just been approved to reopen here. What about your vote and why? Let's start with Mr. Higgins. I voted for it. It's a starting point, not an end point. Uh, we have an acute public health crisis for which there is no treatment, obviously no vaccine. The best thing that we can offer people that are suffering is Tylenol uh, to help them through their suffering, uh, to help them survive. That's not good enough. Uh, the coronavirus has been with us for nearly two decades. We should have been investing in the National Institutes of Health. This bill puts $5 billion in the National Institutes of Health to develop both a treatment and a vaccine uh, for the coronavirus. If we did that 20 years ago, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Uh, it's a massive infusion of money going into the state and localities. They're taking a hit both on the expense side and the revenue side. All right. It is certainly a lot of money. And you might notice here right now uh, that uh, Congressman Reed is establishing his connection and having a bit, uh, bit of difficulty there. He will be yep. joining us. Let's now shift across the state to Congressman Tonko for your vote and why. Well, thank you, Tim. Certainly I voted for it because we're in the midst of a national crisis. 
Over the weekend, we surpassed 90,000 fatalities in this country. Uh, by the next weekend, I'm certain we'll be at 100,000, if not more. Uh, and so there are many communities that are hurting. They are looking at budget cuts. It's a crisis and right at our feet. And it could mean uh, critical layoffs of firefighters, uh, police officers, sheriff patrols, teachers, nurses, water treatment workers along the line. Um, so that the result is a collapse of daily life, to say nothing of the real dangers of not having enough first responders and emergency frontline workers that uh, are in the midst of this national crisis. There are those who say, wait, wait for a, what, another 90,000 deaths? Wait for another 1.5 million cases? The response coming from leadership in the Senate is filed for bankruptcy. The response from the White House punished blue states. I say, if you have a plan, bring it forward. We had a plan. Let's go forward and let's negotiate because America is in the midst of a national crisis. Congressman Tonko, thank you very much. So now we have Congressman Tom Reed from the Southern Tier who has joined us. Congressman Reed, I'm glad to see you have your seatbelt on because your connection was a bit bumpy there. We're, we're, <laughs> we're starting off with just a brief explanation of how you voted on the HEROES Act and why. No, I voted against it. It was truly just a partisan exercise. And you heard the rhetoric already, I think, from some of our colleagues here. Um, and they had some internal division. More people voted against it on the Democratic side uh, in regards to making a bipartisan opposition to the bill. So it was political theater. Uh, bottom line is we're working in a bipartisan, bicameral way to actually get something done. That's the Cassidy Menendez state and local bill. And we're going to continue to focus on issues that are impacting people in COVID-19 today, not dealing with things like legalizing marijuana in a crisis bill, uh, dealing with changing election laws in a coronavirus crisis bill. That stuff should not be put in there. And it's just decent see at its classic uh, partisan basket. All right, Congressman Tom Reed in the Southern Tier, thank you very much. And I hope we can hold that connection with you so you can be here throughout the program. Let's shift now to Congressman Brindisi in the Mohawk Valley, how you voted and why you voted the way you did. Well, thanks, Tim. And it's good to be with all my colleagues. Uh, I, I voted yes, and, and I'll be the first to admit the bill is far from perfect. Uh, but New York has been hit hardest by this pandemic, and in totality, there are many provisions in here that I think are going to help support New Yorkers, such as more testing, which is essential to reopening our economy, uh, essential, uh, pay, hazard pay for our essential workers. The state and local funding and the funding for schools is, is very important for me uh, as our localities look to make cuts in public health and education and health care. Uh, that can really devastate our communities. Those are some of the highlights, uh, more aid for farmers, uh, veterans. I think there's a lot of good in here. There's a lot of bad too, and we gotta work on a compromise to get that stuff out. But uh, we gotta move forward here on a bipartisan basis and, and pass a bill that the president will sign into law. Thank you, Mr. Brindisi. And now let's shift to Rochester and Representative Morelli, your votes and why. Thank you, thank you, Tim, and thank you to Nextar for uh, doing this. This is a great service for the people all through upstate New York. So, and I appreciate being with all my colleagues. I voted for yes for the bill uh, for, for this simple reason. We need a robust and powerful response to this uh, epidemic. So many families, so many individuals are struggling and are hurting and delaying the conversation made no sense to me. This, this had a significant amount of money for state and local governments, which is a priority uh, for me, the top priority in my mind. Uh, this provided support for unemployed workers to continue that support beyond the July 31st deadline. And look, this obviously is going to need a bipartisan agreement to come about. That's been the case on each of these. But it didn't stop the Senate, who moved first on the CARES Act, only through negotiation were we able to pass it in both houses and get the uh, president yeah. to sign it. So okay. this is the L same Listen, thing. Congressman Morelli, 
we thank you uh, for that. And of course, all our members, we were trying to keep this first section really short and we managed to keep it all under a minute. So we'd like to find out now how you'd like to help New Yorkers understand the difference between the bill and the previous coronavirus bills for which all of you voted in favor. So Representatives Stefanik, Katko and Reed, the governor has said that if the HEROES Act were to be passed by the Senate as is and signed, it would save the state, he says, from a $61 billion deficit he says he's going to have over the next few years here in New York. And that he would not have to make the 20% cuts in uh, these critical services that he says the state also needs about $35 billion just to get through the year. You all voted yes on the previous financial aid packages that funded private businesses and beyond. So how was the HEROES Act different, changing your vote to no, starting with Congresswoman Stefanik, realizing you've introduced this week a separate bill to fund state and local governments as well? I would say the biggest difference is there was no bipartisan negotiation. I want a bill that will be signed into law and will provide immediate support, not only to the state and local governments, but also for our veterans and our farmers. And we need to hear from House Democrats. We also need to ensure that Democrats are working with a Republican-controlled Senate. We are in divided government right now. So I was concerned uh, about that, the process, but also, also the substance. If you look at some of those partisan poison pills mm -hmm. that knowingly are going to sink the bill, such as the federal takeover of state elections in terms of the required vote by mail, which I have serious constitutional issues. I also have serious issues that uh, this would include taxpayer-funded stimulus checks to illegal immigrants, as I laid out. Um, so what I've tried to do is work to build a bipartisan coalition. I am a co-sponsor of the bill that Congressman Reed just talked about, the Menendez-Cassidy bill. You have a Republican from the state of, or a Democrat from the state of New Jersey, as well as a Republican from Louisiana working together to ensure that we have an approach that supports all regions of the country. It would be good for New York. It's good for blue states and red states and builds that coalition. So we're hoping to continue to add co-sponsors to that. I think this is more uh, likely where we will land when ultimately we have a bill signed into law. But time is of the essence. I also want to make sure that any federal aid, we really put up guardrails so the federal dollars flow as much as possible to the local levels. I'm talking about the county, town, and municipality levels. Well, they listen, Let's hear from Congressman funding. Reed on that because in our previous program, he mentioned that specifically. He said he wanted the route of distribution not to go through the state. Uh, do you think that can be done, Congressman Reed? Absolutely. That's the heart. We've been working on this issue for the last 60 days. I've been working with the National Governors Association, Larry Hogan, been working with the National Association of Counties, U.S. Conference of Mayors, uh, even working with the White House and folks in the Senate in regards to how can we do that. And exactly what we did in this bill with Cassie Menendez, is we have money going directly to the local governments, money going to the state, making sure the state can't cut the local governments the exact same amount that they give to the local governments under federal dollars. And so that's what this bill got. It brought bipartisan support, brought bicameral support. And I'll tell you, that's the heart of a solution. That's how you do the work. You roll up your sleeves and you work on it for days and you talk to the people it's going to impact. Representative Katko, your, uh, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with both my colleagues. And bottom line is, uh, if you listen carefully to every single person on this uh, meeting, we all agree that we got to help the states. And we all agree that it's going to happen. And like I said, I think last week was a hiccup, a, a blip in, in, uh, in an otherwise good relationship. And the biggest difference between last week's bill and every other piece of uh, COVID legislation so far is that it was done in a partisan <clears throat> manner. And that's unfortunate. But the bottom line, like I said, you put it in rear of your mirror. 
want to give an example of what's going on in my district. Onondaga County has about a $90 million projected revenue shortfall. The city of Syracuse, 40 to $50 million. And we've got to help them. We've got to get direct aid to them. And if the state has a big budget shortfall, some of which preceded this crisis, like a $4.5 billion deficit, um, they, they may have a tendency, but they have discretion where to send the money, not to send it there to plug some gaps in the state. We should definitely help the state, but we should also get money directly to the, the cities and municipalities of all sizes to help them out, especially the ones to make sure we keep firefighters on the street, police on the street, and, and, and EMT workers on the street. And we've got to do it. We're all going to feel a pinch. There's no question about it. We can't solve every problem, but we do have to work in a bipartisan <clears throat> manner to get this money to the front lines as quick as possible. All right, uh, Mr. Katko, thank you. And you're certainly not alone there in Onondaga County because we've been covering these deficits in the localities on our, our weekly program, Empire State Weekly, and uh, most cities from Buffalo to Albany in the same boat. No All right, question. well, now, except for a few members uh, around the nation, the HEROES Act was generally a party-line vote in Congress, unlike the previous funding measures, which were more bipartisan. Well, now, for the Democratic members with us who all voted yes on the HEROES Act, it has an uphill battle in the Senate. Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham have both called it dead on arrival in the Senate, and it seems all but certain that it won't pass as written. It probably won't get anywhere. So to our Democrats now, if you had a chance to rewrite or influence any changes in the current bill, where would you be willing to compromise uh, just to get a deal made? Let's start now with Congressman Brindisi in the Mohawk Valley. I think we look at the areas that have the broadest bipartisan support. I think there's a number of provisions in here that all of us are supportive of. We're, you know, we've all voted for more testing. We all, I think, agree that that is key to getting our, our economy reopened here, more contact tracing. That was part of this legislation. Uh, I think we all think that we owe a debt of gratitude to our essential workers out there. And I think they deserve some hazard pay for uh, helping to fight this pandemic and, and keep our economy going during a very difficult time. We're all in agreement on, on state and local funding. We wanna make sure that gets to the smallest communities across the state. Uh, so school districts and, and localities aren't forced to lay off for essential services. I think we all support our farmers and, and veterans uh, a, a, as well as uh, many of the other provisions in the bill. So um, I would like to see the pressure kept on the Senate because I don't know if there's that same sense of urgency out there in the Senate to act. So what I would do is uh, continue to look at those measures in the HEROES Act that do have bipartisan support, mm -hmm. piece them out one by one, and let's pass those in the House as standalone bills uh, and move them on to the Senate because time is of the essence. Uh, we can't wait here in New York State mm -hmm. much longer before these uh, communities have to start making these devastating cuts. Uh, and the Senate's not willing to act or wants to wait till the end of June or into July. That's too late. We got to act now, so let's take out some of the pieces of this bill that get the most bipartisan support and put them up for standalone votes. That's what I would do. All right. Mr. Brindisi, thank you. So, Mr. Morelli, I'm sure you've heard from your mayors and your county officials in the greater Rochester area. They need the money now. What would you change to try to get a deal? Well, it's not necessarily that I change anything. I will say this at the county, the state, uh, now the federal level, I don't think I've ever voted for a bill that I considered perfect. Uh, they all have things that you decide whether or not on balance you think it's worth supporting. I do want to say again, I think the highest uh, priority has to be state and local funding. Uh, I have bills in, which I talked about today and unveiled a proposal with my county executive to do just that for all the reasons that have been articulated here. So I think we need to continue to work at it. I do uh, agree that we have to continue to push the White House, the United States Senate to come to the table. Um, you know, Senator McConnell said just a couple of weeks ago that States should just declare bankruptcy. Luckily, he's now backed away from that. 
I think that demonstrates that there's an opportunity here to get together and get a bill that we can all uh, support and that we can pass and get the president to uh, to sign into uh, into law. All right, let's hear from Mr. Higgins on this. What would you do differently to try to get this money into the local stream much more quickly? Well, it gives direct aid. It's uh, one third of it goes directly to states, two counties, two cities, two uh, towns, and two villages. It also provides money for uh, pre or K through 12 schools and colleges who have taken hits, uh, money for uh, grants to hospitals and hospital workers on the front lines. Uh, the fact of the matter is 90,000 Americans are dead. That number could double by August. Uh, New York State, uh, his experience, as you have said, almost 23,000 deaths, which is 25% of the deaths nat nationally from COVID-19. Obviously, New York State needs this money directly, uh, but so do the localities, and this bill ju does just that. Uh, <clears throat> when you push out this much money in such a short period of time, all of these bills are highly imperfect. Uh, but they are necessary because this is disaster relief. Uh, this is uh, a national, global disaster uh, for which uh, the federal government was not prepared uh, to address this. We spent $700 billion on defense and can't marshal the federal resources to get uh, protective masks for nurses. All right. Listen, let's hear from uh, Congressman Tonko here in the capital region. The city of Albany, for example, has a big deficit. The mayor is cutting her salary to nothing. How would you speed things along to make a deal? Well, to begin with, Tim, I would say that this bill responds with intelligence, with heart, uh, and certainly with urgency to a national crisis. Um, I heard a lot of denial on the floor when the vote was being taken and when the debate was being held. Um, I didn't hear about plans. But look, the Senate set, through their leadership, uh, set a tone. And I say, if you've got this desire now to do a plan, influence your counterparts, Republicans in the Senate, to recapture the spirit here of bipartisan. Let's not just shut down the process. Uh, I'm happy that there's a bipartisan effort in our bill that addresses my measure for scientific integrity, which puts a high wall between politics and science research and um, information, public health information. I would encourage uh, additional funds for mental health. I've done uh, letters uh, of, uh, of request with John Katko, Representative Katko, mm -hmm. and others in a bipartisan way. I've also encouraged, I, there's no secret that I have fought uh, very hard against the FCC, their plans to not provide for uh, uh, available assistance for broadband in New York is unacceptable and grotesque. Yes, and Congressman so Tonko, we're going we're to get to that a little bit later in the program. But now, and I thank you for your time. We need to take a quick break and keep on time. And if my questioning and your answers can stay on schedule, then we'll get through everything. We're going to be back with more of our COVID-19 Congressional Town Hall here in upstate New York in a moment. But first, we take a, another moment to thank our upstate New York in upstate New York. I'm Tim Lake in Albany. Now, New Yorkers have already received billions of dollars in federal financial aid to fight COVID-19. And now the focus is on funding for our state, county, and local governments, which in turn then disseminate funding for emergency services, healthcare, and education, and so much more. So Congressman Marie and Morelli, they're in Western New York. Your districts, of course, work closely together on a bipartisan issues. Uh, you're right next to each other. You've both been on the record fighting for aid to local and state governments. Beyond stimulus packages, how do our reopening regions prepare for the road ahead? Let's start with Congressman Reed. So what we have to do is got to make sure that we 
continue to meet the metrics. That's why I was glad to put together an announcement today. We networked our hospitals and our health networks to make sure that they're sharing resources across both the Southern Tier, Finger Lakes, and the West District of uh, Western New York in regards to keeping that hospitalization, those resources at a level where the metrics stay open. And we've done the same with Quest Diagnostic and the testing capacity. And so that's critical because once we're open, we hopefully do everything we can in a collaborative, coordinated, uh, communicating together to keep us open and get, keep people back to work. Yes, and I hope people are realizing that it is gradually becoming easier to get a test done. Thank you, sir. Now, Congressman Morelli, Rochester area cities, counties, and schools are all facing pretty significant deficits. How do we prepare for such great losses in revenue? Well, look, I, honestly, I don't think we can. Uh, I think reopening the economy, I've, I uh, have a, a staff member who participates in the control room in the Finger Lakes that the governor has set up and making sure that we've met the metrics the Finger Lakes region has met them consistently. We reopened last Friday, but all the reopening aside, even once <laughs> some of these businesses have supply available for many businesses, it's going to be the demand side that's really continuing to be a problem. You could up, open up all the restaurants in the state today, but that doesn't mean people are going to go there. I think people are still concerned about the public health impact, which is why I think it's so vitally important that there's a federal response to help the state governments and the local governments. I mean, the state of New York and I, had the privilege of serving with Mr. Tonko, Mr. Higgins, Mr. Brindisi in the state legislature. We all know that the state government puts out almost all of its budget to local assistance. That's school districts, it's local communities, it's local uh, community-based organizations. They simply can't make it up uh, on the revenue side without our help. So I don't think there is a way, and that's why this is my number one priority as we look towards the next relief package. It has to be in there because otherwise the consequences will be dire for all of our constituents. Yeah, that's tough reality. Well, money aside, we've also got to think about our health, of course, and Congressman Higgins in Buffalo, Niagara area, from continuing to fight the virus and being prepared for whatever may be ahead, what are you doing, say, in your district to support virus research and, and further treatments? TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Well, I had asked leadership two weeks ago to include $5 billion to the National Institutes of Health uh, to do uh, research in the development of a treatment, which we do not have now, and a vaccine, which we obviously didn't have, uh, toward the development uh, of a coronavirus uh, a vaccine and treatment. Uh, we knew this two decades ago. Coronavirus is going to be with us. Uh, long after this uh, current crisis is abated. Uh, so we just have, have to prepare for it and we have to be smarter about it. The National Institutes of Health 
uh, is the largest funder of medical research in the entire world. If America does not lead on this, there is no leadership. Uh, but we have to engage with the World Health Organization because a pandemic is a global event and uh, an outbreak uh, in one place can result in outbreaks every place. So uh, we just have to be smarter about it. Thank you, sir. Now, Congressman Tonko, you brought this up a few minutes ago. Our schools, farmers, local governments, medical facilities face now significant issues with social distancing. So, Congressman Tonko, if they can't secure better broadband services from themselves and constituents and patients, especially in the rural areas, how do we expect people to maintain services as basic as seeing your doctor? Well, I think it's important for us through this crisis, Tim, to listen to what the public is stating as its needs. And certainly one of the most revealing uh, bits with this uh, crisis has been the reliance that we have with teleworking, uh, understanding the important role that technology plays. And so broadband is not only seen as useful, but it's essential. It's our modern day utility that is uh, much in demand and everyone should have access. So I've listened to countless bits of testimony from educators, from businesses, from healthcare providers, healthcare consumers, all of whom are saying they want access to that broadband. Um, it's no mistaking, uh, I've indicated to many that we have taken on the FCC because of, I think, unfair response to the state of New York. We'll continue that battle, but I've introduced several bills, including the um, access of broadband bill that inventories where we're at with unserved, underserved areas that uh, also couples this with mapping legislation that is made more current and more effective, and also making certain there's a better coordination amongst the agencies. But it will take a commitment, perhaps as a standalone, if the bill doesn't get passed, um, if the uh, coronavirus bill doesn't get passed, a standalone bit of legislation. But we have heard that students cannot do their homework. They have to travel to a library parking lot to get access. Mm -hmm. We hear about uh, doctors reading x-rays in parking lots. We know that this is an essential for rural New York. We're going to continue to fight on behalf of New York, upstate New York, to get its fair share and take on the FCC because the response has been less than acceptable. So, All right, listen, we've, we've got, got to move on to other issues. I appreciate your time there as well. Now, this next one's a tough issue. In each region of the state, we get questions about protecting the state's most vulnerable. We're talking about New York's nursing homes. They've accounted for 5,700 of the state's nearly 23,000 deaths. That's more than a quarter of all COVID-19 deaths here. The White House, in fact, just released new nursing home guidelines for COVID-19. So now to Congressman Brindisi and Katko, the homes are regulated by the states. How can the federal government, meaning you, get involved in this and help rectify the problem? Well, one thing that's clear, Tim, is that this, this virus has really hit our most vulnerable populations the hardest, both in terms of the public health crisis and the economy. And uh, our, our older Americans are, are right within that population. I've been speaking to nursing home uh, owners. I've been speaking to staff. Uh, I've been speaking to residents and family over the last couple of months, and clearly more has to be done to keep them safe. And I've been very direct with many of the owners of these nursing facilities that the bare minimum is not enough. You need to go above and beyond and provide the proper equipment to your workers uh, so everyone in that facility can be safe. Um, I've worked with Democrats and Republicans to uh, try and bring more aid to, to our state in terms of testing and PPE. Many of the folks who are on this call, we've worked together to address those needs for our state. 
and, and one of the reasons that I did support the, the HEROES Act is because as we see the death toll continue to rise in nursing homes, uh, we know we have to do more, uh, and this this bill would provide additional aid uh, to help fight this this problem in our nursing homes. It would provide for things like increased visitation, virtual visitation, uh, so residents aren't feeling isolated. Uh, it would provide five hundred billion dollars to the states to provide to 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 establish these strike teams to go into nursing homes to be able to contain the virus before it starts to spread like a wildfire. Uh, and it will provide additional aid uh, in terms of testing and contact tracing to really assist uh, to, to combat the virus in these nursing homes. But clearly, and many of those done. issues are regulatory, which would cause you to have to deal with the state. So, Congressman Katko, aside from state regulations, is funding a solution to that problem? Yeah, it's it's a it's part of the component. And look, you know, we're going through this. My wife and I firsthand. My uh, my in-laws are in an assisted living facility across the street from us. But I haven't been able to give them a hug, let alone be in the same room with them for eight weeks now. And, you know, they're, they're 90 years old and we're trying to look out for them as best we can. And we're like so many others that are so worried about this. But the fact of the matter is, is that the nursing homes in New York State have had operated under shifting guidance during this crisis. And that's something that's a very big concern to me. So I, I led an effort uh, urging Health and Human Services and Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services to take a look at the shifting policies and guidances which were going on in New York State. And to try and get to the bottom of what happened and how we had 5,700 deaths and how we're putting people in nursing homes uh, uh, that, that had a virus at one point and the underreporting of the number of deaths for a while. All those things are a great concern to families like mine. And we just want some answers. And I think mm -hmm. having the funding and everything uh, Congressmember Dissy articulated, totally support. I, he's 100% right. But we also need to find out why there's a shift in guidance and did they follow the policies that were set out by Health and Human Services and by uh, CMS. All right, thank you, sir. Now, Congresswoman Stefanik, you've taken a, a very hard stance on this. You want a federal investigation into the nursing home issues here in New York State. You met with the president over the weekend, and then just yesterday, the White House releases new guidelines on nursing homes. What, uh, what's the problem here in New York, and did you have anything to do with these new guidelines coming out on Monday? Well, I have been concerned about the way New York State has mismanaged nursing homes, and it's not just me, it's my colleagues on this call, John Katko, Tom Reed, and others across the state. So a few things. If you look back to March, the executive action the governor took to send positive cases back into nursing homes, whether it's the worker or a senior, that's very concerning to me when we had facilities like the Javits Center or the Navy Comfort Ship. Uh, in addition, we did not share this information adequately with families and communities. If there's a positive case in a facility, family members and seniors should be notified. I do want to shout out to the county public health officials in my district, which took a very proactive approach. The first case in Plattsburgh of a senior that was a positive COVID, they notified the entire community and all of the families in the living facility. So I do think it's important to have an independent investigation to provide answers to those families who have lost loved ones and are truly heartbroken. I spoke to a few people today who have lost one, and in some cases, two of their loved ones, and they still don't don't have information from the facility or from New York State or uh, certain county public health offices. So we need to work on this. I think funding absolutely is a piece. The New York delegation has worked together well on this bipartisan call for additional funds for our nursing homes so they have the resources they need from the federal level. Uh, but this is an issue. I have more seniors in my district than any other district in New York State. And, and, and people are owed answers. This is not a political issue. You have Democrats from downstate that were hit very hard in the assembly who have 
have called for an independent investigation. Listen, thank you. Uh, real briefly, because we have about 40 seconds left in this segment, can you and Mr. Higgins give us a brief explanation of when you think the border might open there on the Buffalo and Niagara frontier and uh, along the uh, Thousand Islands and up along the Canadian border with Vermont? Well, we're looking at the end of June. Uh, that was announced today, and I am in close contact with our counterparts and economic partners across the border. We're going to have uh, an open roundtable discussion with our border partners uh, this week, hosted by the North Country Chamber. But what I'm very proud of is the essential workers, whether it's the supply chain or hospital workers, have continued to be able to cross the border. Mm, right. Mr. Higgins, is that your understanding, that hopefully by the end of June we can have the Peace Bridge open again? June 21st, uh, the Western York economy is highly dependent on Southern Ontario, which is one-third of the entire population of Canada. I think both the Canadian and U.S. governments realize that we can open in a gradual, incremental, and safe way. And I think that's in everybody's interest, but we also want to get that border open so we can move goods and services between uh, the two countries. Yes, and hopefully just before the summer tourism season. Thank you, everyone. Well, coming up, we're going to ask our seven Congress members some of the questions that you have been asking all around the state. As we head into a break, though, we're thanking another group hard hit by the pandemic. So thank you to all the restaurant workers across the state who are serving all New Yorkers, donating meals and working together. Welcome back, everyone, to our second COVID-19 Congressional Town Hall here in New York. I'm Tim Lake in Albany. It's time now to turn to our viewers, all of you across the state, for questions that you have for our members of Congress here tonight. Let's start with Congressman Tonko. Uh, this one focused on your region in the Capital District. It's from an anonymous viewer. Uh, the Capital Region has just made the cut for phase one of reopening. Do you agree with the governor's reopening criteria and process for doing so? Thanks for the question. I've said time and again, Tim, that uh, these decisions need to be made in accordance with the best science, uh, certainly based on widespread testing, tracing, and treatment, which have been underscored with the, uh, the House versions of uh, COVID response. I think it's important for us to also communicate these issues most clearly and transparently. Uh, my job, and even more the president's, is to make certain that state and local leaders have the uh, resources that they require and the info that is driven by science that creates a national strategy as we go forward. But um, again, I think it needs to be science-based. Some of the comments made by leadership that uh, skip around science or disregard it can come across as foolish, if not downright risky uh, and very dangerous. So. I agree. Let's do it based on science. Let's have the testing, tracing, and treatment uh, driven in accordance with the best science. Let's honor and respect those agencies and professionals, those public health experts, those epidemiologists, and certainly our uh, scientists guide us as we go forward. But I think when we do that, we will have the best and most effective uh, reopening that we can. All right, thank you, Mr. Tonko. And now we have a question for uh, Congressman Brindisi. And again, this person has chosen to remain anonymous. And this is a question from Utica. Um, Mr. Brindisi, with this virus being as politicized as it has become, is there a way that Congress can ensure that treatments and or vaccines are fully vetted and safe before being presented to the public as a remedy? Well, th thank you for the question. Uh, well, in the response to COVID-19 should, should not be political. It's no time for politics uh, during this crisis. And 
we need to make sure that any treatment, any therapies are, are safe, uh, that they're scientifically sound, uh, and that they have the, the blessing of, uh, of the public health uh, experts at the CDC, the FDA, uh, and all the relevant agencies whose job it is to, to vet these treatments. Uh, you know, history has shown that we have the, the greatest scientists in, in the world here in this country, and we have uh, overcome uh, all kinds of illnesses and ailments in the past, and I have no doubt that we'll come up with treatments and a vaccine ultimately to do that for COVID-19. I think the other piece that we have to be mindful of is that uh, any of the treatments that we come up with for COVID-19 should be free to Americans. Um, so that's one of the, the pieces of the HEROES Act is making sure that these treatments, the vaccine uh, is available to folks, whether they have private health insurance, Medicare beneficiaries, Medicaid, TRICARE, uh, you name it, or don't have insurance at all. Uh, we have to make sure that this treatment's available to everybody. Thank you very much, Mr. Brindisi. Our next question is for Representative Katko, and uh, this is from Lisa C. in Cicero, in your district. We keep hearing about the bump in pay for essential workers since they have put their lives on the line for us. What will each of the representatives be doing to push the HEROES bill forward? What will they do to push the bump in pay for them? And of course, this may be a dated question, but either way, uh, you can influence uh, legislation there in Washington. But fully supportive of it. Healthcare workers, transportation workers, food and food service workers, they've done a remarkable job. And the best way to talk about is to illustrate one example. Jessica Hamm is a friend of mine. She's a nurse at the VA in Syracuse. She's a mom. She's got two kids and she's got a husband. She left them all to go to a Parsippany, New Jersey VA facility that had uh, scores and scores of deaths. And she went down there voluntarily and she re-upped voluntarily to be down there to help those folks and be away from her family and put herself at risk. That's just one of thousands of stories across this great country. And we absolutely positively should do all we can to honor them. We honored her when she left by having a little parade for her and she came by and we all got to clap and have signs up for her. But, you know, if we can do something, work on compensation, we, sh we should. That was one of the shames of the HEROES Act is that there's a lot of good provisions like that in there. And if we didn't have those poison pills, we'd be talking about making this law right now. So hopefully without those poison pills, provisions like this in the HEROES Act should get enacted, and I thank Lisa for the question. All right, thank you, sir. Representative Higgins, this is for you, a viewer from a, a viewer question from a Buffalo resident. And I like this one because it represents businesses out there, small businesses, and a lot of them are, are, are just hamstrung over what to do. So the question is, our company has business interruption insurance. Why is the pandemic not a payable event? We're a family-owned and operated business with no other employees, so we did not qualify for the payroll protection program. We have lost months of business and supplies, all these new programs to help, why aren't they made to cover this? Yeah, that is literally a $500 billion question. Uh, the business interruption insurance uh, pays, uh, businesses pay a lot of money in, in premium payments uh, to cover uh, loss of income uh, that that business suffers from a disaster. Uh, make no mistake about it, uh, this crisis is a national and global disaster and should qualify for coverage. It's a state issue. It's being challenged in the state courts, including most recently in Pennsylvania, which uh, seems to be their preliminary ruling uh, favoring businesses in coverage under the business uh, interruption insurance. Uh, but that's literally a $500 billion uh, question. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is, 
you lose 36, 36 million jobs, you lose $1.3 trillion in income in an eight-week period, there is physical damage done to businesses, and therefore they should qualify uh, for business uh, interruption insurance. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Now let's shift over to Congressman Morelli. Here's a question from a retired viewer in the Rochester area. I'm a widow receiving monthly benefits from Social Security, direct deposit, I filed my 2019 taxes. I still have not received my stimulus check. I've already talked to a staffer from the congressman's office who wasn't able to find a reason for my missing check. The IRS Get My Payment website was not helpful. What should I do? Will I experience the same delay and problem if there are any future stimulus checks? Well, thanks for the question. I, I We share your frustration. Uh, I'm pleased you called the office, but as you can tell, we've even had our time in our congressional offices getting the answers to basic questions. Uh, and we have had thousands of constituent inquiries about unemployment insurance and the stimulus checks. Uh, I, I will say finally yesterday, the Internal Revenue Service uh, unveiled a new way to reach out to them with questions about cases like yours. They have a, an 800 toll-free number, 800-919-9835, uh, to talk to a representative that hopefully can identify and rectify the problem. If you're still unable to get a resolution, please call my office again. We've also been told that uh, now with a, a, a release form from constituents that we can open up an inquiry to work with the IRS. Hopefully this will get resolved. Um, and the, the big challenge is, of course, putting a lot of money on the streets. A lot of money has gone out in the form of stimulus checks. I also understand the IRS has announced they're going to send, instead of checks, potentially send out debit uh, cards with electronic strips yes. that people can use. So a lot of work's being done, but uh, hang in there. We'll get this right. I think they've just begun that recently, sending, sending out those debit cards. Thank you, sir. Let's now go to Representative Stefanik. This one is from Linda in your district. Why did Governor Cuomo send COVID-19 patients from New York City to small hospitals around the state, two to Glens Falls, four to uh, Amsterdam at St. Mary's Hospital, and four to Ellis Hospital in Schenectady? How did sending 10 patients to three hospitals in three different counties help alleviate the situation in New York City? Well, in New York City, which we know is the epicenter of this crisis within the state, our concern, I think, from the state's perspective was that the hospitals would be overrun. That's why you saw the Javits Center and the Army Corps of Engineers build that within a few days. That's why you saw the Navy Comfort sh Ship. The challenge going forward is that the hospitals in my region have had to pause elective surgeries in anticipation uh, for potential high numbers of positive COVID cases. So the fiscal challenges are dire for hospitals in my district, which is why I've worked directly to help calculate fair rural reimbursements for our rural hospitals all across my district. And whether it's Glens Falls Hospital or Samaritan Hospital in Watertown, uh, we are working to make sure that they get the federal support that's needed. So again, I think the perception from the state was that they wanted to ensure that the hospitals weren't overrun downstate. My focus is really making sure that our hospitals are made whole and have that financial support and that backstop they need from the federal government. I've announced over $100 million to date since COVID began of direct funding to hospitals in my district, and we are committed to delivering more funding moving forward. 
All right, we thank you for your answer as well. Congressman Reed, this one is from the Elmira area. Republican leadership in New York, including Senator Tom O'Mara, have called for an independent investigation into nursing home deaths from COVID-19. Some blame Governor Cuomo's policies for the high rate of fatalities. As those numbers remain high even today, do you support such an investigation? And would you suggest that the governor should be held criminally liable, Mr. Reed? Well, I, I do support the investigation, just as my colleagues, uh, Representative Stefanik and Kako uh, mentioned, uh, we joined together at the federal level to initiate an investigation here. And I think this is going to, looking back on it, it's going to be the biggest mistake that Governor Cuomo made. I mean, he literally is the cause uh, for thousands of deaths in the nursing homes because of the guidance and the issuance of his directive that said COVID-19 positive patients have to be sent back to the nursing homes. That was under his leadership. That was his people making that decision. And then to compound the problem, the governor has responded in a draconian way during a press conference, issued a change in the guidance in order to cover the optics of what was happening to him. If you read the articles that look at what happened in California versus what happened in New York, you see a very diametrically a, a different approach to this issue. So I think the governor's gonna have some accountability here. And the draconian uh, changing guidance where you have two tests a week, the CDC says once a week, talking to the hospitals, uh, they recommend once a week because you are gonna lock down the system and those staffers are not going to be able to go to work. They're not gonna be able to see their families because they're gonna be in quarantine. And then on top of that, he's putting the burden on the nursing homes to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars that they don't have. And he's threatening to sh pull their licenses. What are those residents going to do? Be thrown out into the parking lot? So I say, listen to the data, listen to the evidence. Once a week testing, make sure that you have a separate facility for the COVID-19 population to go to. That's what the, the state recommended. That's what the, or that's what the federal uh, guidance recommends. That's what the state said it was going to do. And I'm still waiting for those facilities so that COVID-19 patients can be isolated and separated from the nursing home populations that have a negative, negative uh, population or patients are right. there. Sir, thank you very much for your answer on that. We have a couple of minutes left here. So I wanna open it up to a couple of topics that I know are gonna be important next month or so. The summer tourist season brings a lot of people into upstate New York, and many of them come for both the state and the independent nation casinos. Mr. Brindisi, I know you have Turning Stone, the big one there along the, the throughway. They employ thousands of people. What are you hearing about when they're going to be able to get fully reopened, employers to come back, and people to come back to the gaming tables? You're right. They're, they're, they're very important part of uh, the central New York Mohawk Valley economy and uh, for what we're hearing right now June 10th is the date where they will have a, a limited reopening of gaming uh, and hospitality uh, entertainment uh, is still down the road but uh, they're not allowing from what I understand not allowing guests outside of a 120 mile radius uh, and this plan has been endorsed by both uh, Oneida County and Madison County. So I think if they're, if they're working with health officials, uh, they're in communication with the local governments as well as the state uh, and doing so according to a plan, implementing all the necessary safety guidelines, uh, they should have no problem reopening, but they have to continue to monitor things and see and react to uh, what's happening across the country. And as long as they're working with the counties, I think uh, they should be clear to reopen. All right, the rest of you also have both state casinos and independent nation casinos in close proximity or in your districts. Are you confident that we can get people massing into our casinos and still keep them safe at the same time? Let's, uh, let's start with Congressman Reed. 
I, I do believe I've talked to the uh, president of the Seneca Nation and others. Uh, they want to make sure they open up the casinos in a safe fashion. And that's why every business should be looking at it. That's why we have 120 members of our economic recovery team of stakeholders, influencers in various industries. And what, what the, we all encourage them to do is look at this from a safety perspective. And, they, and given the uh, creativity and innovation that they've demonstrated, I am very confident. Now, you're not going to go to a casino in the same fashion that you did before COVID-19, why we go through this process, but you can implement safe distancing. You can use masking. You can use uh, personal protective equipment and let the casinos do this just like every other industry. And when the guidance says that they're safe, then you can move forward. And I, I trust the uh, people uh, in order to do the right thing here. And I think they will do it uh, going forward. All right, let's go to central New York and western New York now real quickly with our big sports stadiums and say our big concert events. The idea is that we can get some sort of return to them by maybe midsummer. Are you confident that people can get together again or whether it's uh, going to the lakes and, and the public parks outside? How about uh, Congressman Higgins? Well, people are already using their, their parks. Uh, the Olmstead Park System in Buffalo is among the greatest uh, park systems in the entire country and the world. Uh, the county park system, the state park system, people uh, use them every day, have developed a new appreciation for them. Uh, they're a big part of tourism and life quality uh, in our community and throughout the state. Uh, new York State uh, has an abundance okay. of public lands that uh, people love to enjoy and can do it today. Uh, well, let's hope we can get it going as the weather is warming up as we're now approaching Memorial Day weekend. Listen, I wish we had much more time to talk, but we uh, will digitally and on our internet sites in just a few moments. This wraps up, though, our hour of television and radio coverage on this COVID-19 Congressional Town Hall. We want to say a thank you to all of our members of Congress and our broadcast outlets, too. We're going to keep speaking with our politicians on our digital platforms. If you would like to join us, the link for that is on your local next our TV station website. We'll keep the conversation going in one minute. We'll see you there. Now in Buffalo, it is 65 degrees. Phil Kennedy for News Radio 930 WBEN. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.